y'all doing tonight? I'm Chip. Hi, all right, cool. Um, Big Valley Christian School. Did I get that right? All right. From Modesto. Modesto. Isn't there a minor league baseball team there? Modesto A's, or are they still there? Nuts, the nuts. That's right, that's right. Are they still around? Yeah. Sweet. Well, hey, uh, let me introduce myself a little bit. Uh, My name's Chip. I already told you that. Um, I'm going to tell you this. As of about three weeks ago, I used to be a pastor. And I tell you, I, I used to be because, y'all, I did the absolute craziest and maybe dumbest thing. It's not dumb, but I felt a calling on my life that it was time after 23 years and after 14 years at the same church to say like, hey, I'm going to quit. And I didn't have another job lined up. And so I'm sure a lot of your teachers and counselors right now are saying like, no, 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 that's not a good plan. Like, don't do that. That's kind of dumb. But I did it because I was following God's lead. So um, anyway, that's a little bit about me. Uh, here's a picture of my family. Uh, when it, we're we're going to talk about them a lot. Okay, so you can see I have uh, three boys. Uh, in the middle, obviously, that's my wife. I know she's hot. Did you just say she's hot? That's oh. Okay, I was going to get there. Wait, patience. I'll get there. Okay. Uh, but my wife is hot. I mean, it's okay. You can say it. It's cool. Um, she is beautiful, and I know what you're saying, like she's way too pretty for me, and I completely agree with you, but I stole her like 20-something years ago when I was good looking, so now not so much. Um, on, the, on the far left, right, your left, yeah, I got the right, uh, that's my oldest son, Miles, he's 21, he's a senior at the Masters University. <laughs> Love it, okay, cool. Um, he is... Uh, plays baseball. He's been the starting shortstop the last uh, four seasons. He is a business marketing major. I don't, you can't see it, but he has lots of tattoos. I don't know what's the problem, but he does. Uh, and l- listen to this, dude, super cool. He hit four home runs in one game this year, set the all-time GSAC record. So super proud of him for that one. Uh, next to him is, or I mean, okay, we'll go with the youngest first. I'll get to it. Um, next to him is my youngest. That's Eli. He's going to be a freshman at Cedarville University. He's on a full-ride baseball scholarship as well. He's going to be a... Uh, uh, sports broadcasting major. And if you don't know anything about Eli, he's the most passionate kid on the planet. Like this dude claps for everything. Like my wife will make tacos and he's like, yes, mom, tacos, tacos. Like the kid is just a loony bin, passionate for life, but it's awesome. I love him. And then uh, that's who? Ty, Ty. So if you went to the DR this summer with Students International, some of you, you got to meet my middle son, Ty, uh, who was there on summer staff. He is a sophomore now at Liberty University in Virginia. Cool, Liberty. Woo. Um, I, Ty and I just spent a whole week, five days, 41 hours, 2,888.2 miles driving across the country to get him there. We had an awesome, awesome time. He is an RS there. Uh, he's a biblical studies major. He's an RS, which is like a resident shepherd, like an RA, only like, like a floor pastor. Uh, Ty is the most humble and gentle human being. Those of you that met him, he is my hero. He's unbelievably awesome. And uh, so those are my three boys. So um, super, super cool. Now, Tonight, um, I introduce you to my family a little bit because I'm going to use some stories from their lives and from my life as well to kind of help illustrate what I think the Holy Spirit is speaking through me. Um, again, y'all are from Big Valley. What's your um, mascot? Lions. 
Oh, lions, lions. You got a lion inside of those lungs. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, I love that song, by the way. Anyway, and sorry, I'm just going to apologize. I can be a human jukebox sometimes, so if you throw out a word, sometimes I just start singing it. I apologize. I'm not Kendall up here at any means. Okay. Um, now, the school year is about to begin. Or did you all started already, right? Okay. All right. How are y'all feeling about this, this upcoming year? Like, raise your hand if you're like super stoked, like, yes, school rocks, yeah. Okay, raise your hand if you're like, look, I'm at school because they make me do it. All right. And how many of you are like, school, dude, no, I, no way. Thank you for your honesty, brother. All right. Uh, I get it. It's all good. Now, here's the thing. This year, you're going to go into this school year. And, and, and listen, I, I don't know you all. Like, I don't know where your heart's at right now. But I want you for just a moment, and Kendall kind of alluded to this, of just, like, let's do this week an honest examination of our hearts. Let's do an honest examination of just, like, where we're at as we start this school year. Because I don't know about you, but I'm assuming that you want this school year to be awesome and full of joy and to be rad and cool and great. And so what we're going to talk about this week is how God desires that for you, but God wants to do it in a way where he recrafts you into something amazing. We're going to talk about this concept of, of the old going and the new coming. And I don't know what your current burdens or worries or fears that you're carrying into this year, but my hope is that this week, this week, you lay them at the feet of the cross. Because look, there's a lot to be scared of and fear and worried about. But my hope is that this week we'll lay them at the cross. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to start here. We're just going to read this one verse, and it's going to kind of set the overall tone before we get into our main passage, okay? 2 Corinthians 5. Now, let me just give you a quick uh, bio biopsy. That's not the word. Biography of the guy who wrote this, okay? Uh, it, you know the Bible? We got uh, the New Testament is the, f the first four books of the New Testament are the Gospels. It tells the life of Jesus. Then you got the book of Acts. Acts is kind of the next stage after the church begins, the historical records of that. And then in Acts, you get this guy named Paul. Now, he was originally named Saul, and Saul was actually this dude who like persecuted the early church when they were called the way, early Christians. And so much to the point where uh, God ended up interceding, like Jesus actually met him on the road to Damascus. Anybody ever heard of OC Supertones? No? Some of you? They have a song, Paul was walking down the road to Damascus, saw a bright light and, okay, anyway. Sorry, I bust into songs, I'm sorry. Okay, and so, uh, so Paul, so Saul gets, uh, Jesus encounters him on this road and actually blinds him and he ends up in this spot where he becomes Paul and now he is living for Jesus and mo most of the rest of the New Testament was written by Paul, right? Are you with me so far? Okay, so, so Paul, as he goes about, um, he is creating churches, he's telling people about Jesus, he's testifying to what Jesus did, and then he starts writing letters back to the churches that he planted. And so this first one right here uh, that we're going to look at is his second letter that he wrote to the, Trent, the, the church of Corinth, okay? So look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 19, says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, cool. 
The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Let me just ask you, and, and this is kind of the way I roll, like I'll ask you some questions periodically. If you've got an answer, raise your hand. I'll point to you and say, go. Sometimes I might just say, hey, everybody yell it out. But for this, uh, what did you see in 2 Corinthians 5 right there? Did anybody notice anything like as I read it? Did you hear something? What'd you hear? Oh, I was gonna get to that next. You jumped the gun, but let's go there, okay. Did you catch the whole part about the old becoming new, right? But then what word did he use four times in that passage? What did you say? Reconciliation. Reconciliation. Reconciliation is kind of a fancy word uh, that means to redeem or make right. Um, in the Christian world, what it means is it's the end of this separation because of our sin between God and humanity. Uh, I told you, my boys are baseball players. My uh, youngest son, Eli, um, so my oldest, Miles, got this like super cool wood bat, like special wood bat, and he had it kept in his room, and Eli went and snuck it one day and went, and he's like, hey, I'm going to go to the cages, I'm going to use it, and I kid you not, first swing with that wooden bat. And you know what happens sometimes with a wooden bat and you get hit on the handle? What can happen? It breaks, dude. Eli, first swing, crack, and he's like, oh, no. I broke my brother's bat. And he got home. He's like super embarrassed. Miles is like super mad at him. He's like, you broke my favorite bat. Like, I think he was going to beat him over the head with the rest of the bat. Like, it was not a good thing. But um, what was super cool is like Miles and I had this conversation about like, you need to forgive him because this is your brother and you guys need to reconcile your relationship. You need to make it right. And that's reconciliation. And so here's the deal. If you don't hear anything else from me all week long, what I want you to understand is that God is 100% in the business of reconciling you. And I'm talking to you right now. God is 100% in the business of reconciling you. You are his beloved, you are his beautiful creation. And because of sin, you got sideways and we stepped out of his plans. But look, God is in the business of reconciliation and he wants you. And he wants you to have amazing and awesome joy. And that only happens, guys and girls, when we have a relationship with him. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 4, 17. Now, this is where we're going to be almost the rest of the week is, is Ephesians 4. This is our theme uh, section of verse. Now, as you move there, Ephesians 4, 17. And again, Ephesians, this is another letter from Paul that he wrote to the church in Ephesus. This one actually while he was in jail. Um, for telling others about Jesus. Before we read that, let me ask you a question. Raise your hands. How would you define the word identity? Anybody? How would you define the word identity? What does it mean? Yes, thank you. What? Who you are. Is that a good answer? You like that? Anybody else? Want to take a crack? Identity, who you are? Man, this is going to be a rough crowd. Y'all know how to raise your hands, right? Let's just practice. Ooh, maybe some of you don't raise your hand. That's, that wasn't good. Okay. Uh, identity, who you are, that's not bad. Understanding your identity and your real identity is one of the most important things in your life, guys and girls. 
Uh, you need to know who you are. You need to know your identity. And a, a lot of times, we find our identity in what we do or what others say about us. Uh, any football players here? All right, cool. Uh, a lot of times, somebody will ask us, like, man, who are you? And if you're a football player, that's immediately where you go. That's what you start with. Or maybe you're a cheerleader. Any cheerleaders here? I saw, I saw you. Yeah, I saw you that was, like, afterwards, like, woo, or whatever it was. I don't, you don't want to see me do that. Okay, um, but, uh, or maybe, you know, there's a lots of things that, that we do or ways that people categorize us, and a lot of times when people ask you about who you are, your identity, that's the default for us as we go back to what we do and what we participate in and how others can categorize us. And I want you guys to know that that can be really, really dangerous. When we find our identity in anything besides God, um, and what other people tell us. When I was uh, four years old, anybody know where Bakersfield is? Okay, I was, I was living in Bakersfield, I was four years old, I had an older buddy named Keith who was five, and so Keith was older and wiser than me, and he told me that I was Superman. And so, I just real quick, they had this platform in Bakersfield, and you know Bakersfield's like Modesto, it's hotter than hell, right? I mean, it's not hotter than hell, but it's hot, I, I don't know, you know, it's hot. Right? And they, in my days when I was a kid, man, you all got it nice. You got these plastic, like, jungle gyms that you can climb on that don't get hot. When I was a kid, they had these metal jungle gyms. How stupid were these people that created these things? A metal jungle gym. And what we did was you would climb up onto the thing. Well, in the middle of the day, as a four-year-old, I climb up this ladder and I get up to the top of this metal platform and I realize that the last like three or four slides that I slid down this metal slide, I was burning my rear end. And so I'm thinking there and I'm going like, well, I can slide down and burn my rear end or you know what? I could climb back down the ladder that I just climbed up, but that kind of burnt my hands. And so... What Keith told me rung true in my mind. And like a wonderful four-year-old, I climbed up on this 12-foot platform and looked down and said, Superman, as I jumped off. Why? Because I believed that I was Superman because Keith told me I was Superman. Dummy. But that's, though that seems kind of funny, that's kind of the way we are. Like what people say about you or the things that you do that we tend to start to think that that's who we are. That's how we find our identity. See, guys and girls, what I want you to understand is that I believe that if you want to live your best life on earth, that you need to understand that your true identity isn't made up of living life like the world tells you to, or believing about yourself about how others categorize you. It starts by understanding who God is. It starts by understanding who God is. And I believe that there's a direct correlation between how you live your life and what you understand about God. And honestly, the way that you live your life and the choices that you make tell me everything about what you actually believe about God. See, all sin... All sin is simply just a warped, uh, warped understanding of who God is. So this is what I want to do tonight. Um, oh, did I not read Ephesians yet? Oh, go back to that. Ephesians 4.17 says this. 
Now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. I want you to go back to that to the very beginning. And it says, now this I say and testify in the Lord. And so again, like your identity has to start with the question of what Paul is saying is who is exactly is God? And I want to look at three things quickly tonight, three things that help us have an understanding of who God is that hopefully will set the tone for our own identity. Uh, Turn to Genesis 1-1. Honestly, you don't have to turn there because hopefully you probably already know this one, but we're going to turn there anyway. Genesis 1-1. Let's start at the beginning. Start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. Anybody? What movie is that from? Sound of Music. Sound of Music. Thank goodness. All right. I know, that dates me too. Thank you for participating. Okay, Genesis 1-1 says this. In the beginning, what does it say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We just need to stop right there. In the beginning, God. What I want you guys to understand first and foremost is that God was there before the beginning. God is eternal. Okay, and, and I know you're going to sit here and go, duh, Chip, we're high schoolers. We understand that God is eternal. But I don't know if you really understand what that means. God isn't in time. God always has been. He is and he always will be. Uh, come here for a second. Yeah, yeah, why not? You don't even have to put your shoes on. Come here, dude, quick. Well, one of your teachers came up here barefooted. Yeah, yeah, you, so it's all good. Okay, what's your name? Andrew. Andrew, everybody say, uh, give a round of applause for Andrew. You didn't have to put your shoes on, it's all good. Okay, Andrew, hold, grab the ball here. Okay, now, hold it out there for a second. And what I want you to do is, is I want you to show me the point on that ball where it starts. Okay, that one's a hard question. Okay, do this instead, Andrew. Show the, show the ball out there. Show me where it ends. Somewhere. Somewhere. All right, let's give Andrew a big round of applause. Okay? Look, I, I know this is kind of a, a simple and, and maybe fallible illustration, but it helps us understand the point of this. Like, look, if we have a line, we know that there's a beginning and end. But God is a lot like this ball, this sphere, and that there's no start. There's no beginning, there's end. There's no end. Listen, God does not exist in time. Before, in the beginning, there was no time. And so sometimes, like, it's hard for us to wrap our mind around this concept because we think, well, okay, so at what point was there God? Or what point did God decide to create? Like, Look, God just always has been. You can't put him in the box of time. I remember being in high school, and this freaked me out, like, to no end. Um, I used to literally, like, the concept of eternity, like, I would get, I would think of it in the middle of the night. I would get up out of my bed and just, like, run. And sometimes it wasn't pretty. I literally one time ran outside through the neighborhood in my underwear. It was just, like, a bad decision. And my mom's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I was scared of eternity. I don't know. Anyway. Um, So uh, Colossians 1.17 says that he is before all things, and in him all things are held together. God is eternal. He's not in time. And listen, this is important to understand about him. 
The second one is this that we need to understand about God is that he is omnipresent. Say that with me. God is omnipresent. That means God is everywhere at all times. Like God is everywhere. Jeremiah 23, 24 says, can a man hide himself in a secret place so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. Psalm 139, 7 to 10 says, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I free from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the utmost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. God is everywhere. This one time, Miles was uh, at home, he was a young kid, and I came home and I couldn't find him, and I'm looking all over the place, and I finally, I look under and I find him inside a cabinet. And I'm like, Miles, what are you doing, dude? Like, and he's like, Dad, I stole one of Mom's cookies. And I'm like, okay, like you do that. And he's like, I know God's mad at me right now. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, so I was hiding from him. And I had this cool moment with Miles to say like, and y'all are smart, right? Like, was he hiding from God? No, because why? Because God's everywhere, right? And so I had this, con- this conversation with him like, like, listen, Miles, God is everywhere. Everyone look to your left for a second. God's there. Look to your right. God's there. Look up. God's there. Look down. God's there. Listen, I, sometimes, and some of y'all, like, when you're making out with your girlfriends, need to remember this whole thing. Like, God is everywhere. Yeah, some of you are, like, bonking your friends right now. Dude, hey, that scared the willies out of me the first time. Like, I had a girlfriend in high school, and this whole concept got up, and, and I'm like, baby, I, I can't. I can't make out with you right now because God is here. And, but, but listen, that's the reality, right? God is everywhere. There is nowhere that God is not. He is omnipresent. And then the last one is this, is that God is omniscient. And maybe this is a word that you haven't heard before, that God is omniscient, meaning that God knows everything that ever was that is and that ever will be. There is no trivia question that God cannot answer. Psalm 147.5 says, great is our Lord and abundant in power. He under, his understanding is beyond measure. First John 3.20 says, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Can I just tell you this, and this is important because you're gonna need to know this tomorrow, but there is nothing that ever surprises God. Nothing that ever surprises God. I heard that y'all had kind of a tough situation happen a few weeks ago. I need you guys to remember and know that nothing surprises God. God knows everything and God is in control. He is omniscient. And part of understanding God's omniscience and that he knows everything means that we really do need to give our full trust to him. I told you that I quit my job recently. And I gotta be honest, like, it was the scariest thing I've ever done because I didn't know what my next job was. And I still don't, actually. But I'll tell you what, because I know that God is omniscient and that he already knew that I was gonna quit my job and he already has a plan for me, like, I can put my full trust in him. Because he is omniscient. He knows 
everything. And so before the creation of time, you have this eternal, all-knowing, and present God who for some reason created the world. Uh, Psalm 33, 6 through 9 says this. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by its breath is mouth of all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap, and he puts the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. I was... uh, I used to tease this all the time, but there's this guy named, this pastor named Louis Giglio, and he does this whole thing where he's, he takes like a, a, a little golf ball and he says, hey, the golf ball represents the earth. And he's like, and then, and then the earth, like the sun is like, I can't remember how many more golf balls and is bigger. And then he starts going into, and then there's this other planet that's like a hundred times bigger than the sun. And then there's this other planet that's like a thousand times bigger than that. And there's another one and he keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And the reminder is, I don't know if you, the last time you just looked out at the stars, but the reminder is, is that God just spoke those into existence. God just spoke them into existence. Eli, our, our high school group, and I don't know if you, you all do this at the school or in your youth group, but um, our high school decided to be a cool idea to kidnap all the freshmen, to like welcome them in, like literally go and drag them out of their beds and take them to the youth group to do this introduction thing. They didn't get to brush their teeth, they didn't get to comb their hair, they didn't get to do anything. And so they have all the freshmen lined up and this one lady counselor thought it was a good idea to do the breath test. You know where this is going. She gets up, she gets up all excited and she's like smelling people's breaths who didn't get brush their teeth. <sighs> Nobody, all of a sudden she comes up to Eli, Eli goes <sighs> and she goes, and almost passes out. It was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Listen, this is the deal. When we breathe, not good things happen. When God breathes, what happens? Things get made. Things get created. The most gigantic, massive stars in the world, he just breathed them into existence. Guys and girls, look at me. This is the God that we're talking about. An all-knowing, eternal, omniscient, omnipresent God who breathed the world into existence. And here's what's super cool. Above all of it is that God took the time to create you. Not just mankind, but God took the time to make you and breathe existence in you. Psalm 139, 13 to 16, one of my favorite, favorite verses says, For you formed me in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. And when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as there yet was none of them." The God of the universe who breathed it all into existence, breathed you into existence. He knit you together specifically and intricately. Look, there's a lot of influences into our identity. But my hope is, my hope is, is that you understand that the only place that you need to get your identity and value and self-worth from is from the God of the universe who is omniscient, 
all-knowing, all-powerful, omnipresent, and he breathed you into existence with great, great purpose. One of my favorite, favorite passages comes out of Ephesians 2.10. I need can, somebody that have their Bible, can they come up here and actually read it? Somebody that's a good reader, maybe? A good, I, I don't know why I just said that, but yes, you. Are you a good reader? Great, come up here. Read, read this out loud for me, because this is one of the coolest, and, and we're going to end with this. Can you read, like, super loud? Super loud. What's your name? Savannah. Savannah. Everybody say hi, Savannah. Hi. Okay, Savannah, Ephesians 2.10, as loud as you can. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's awesome. Okay, stand to the side for a second. Savannah. So that verse says that we are God's workmanship, right? Um, other translations say, for we are God's masterpiece. Do you feel like you're God's masterpiece? Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. Huh? You know, I, I love that verse because it's this reminder to me that, like, it doesn't say that, like, I'm God's kind of, like, sort of messed up mess. Like it says, because of the work of Christ Jesus, that you are his masterpiece, his beautiful work of art. And like, I don't know about you, but that makes me feel so valued and so special. That a God who is omniscient and, and, and all-knowing and omnipresent took the time to create me into his masterpiece. It's pretty cool, huh? So this is what I want you all to do is uh, close your eyes for just a second. And Savannah, you can go back down. Thanks. That was awesome. Good job, Savannah. Um, this is what I want to finish with is I believe that if we're truly gonna make this week in our lives about God transforming us and recrafting us and developing our identity and helping us to understand our value and our self-worth and who we are, then we have to understand who God is and who God created us to be. I'm going to read just five passages over you, that these come from Scripture that just might help us to understand how much God loves us and created us with purpose. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. One of my favorites from 2 Corinthians 2.15 says, For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. And I already read for you Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's masterpiece and he has created us anew in Christ Jesus for we can do the good things he planned for us to do. And then I want to read this again over you from Psalm 139.14, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You can look at me. I told you at the beginning about my boys and I told you a bunch of things about them. But I want you to understand that one of the things that we pushed in them is that they don't find their identity in being baseball players and what school they go to 
in anything outside of who God says they are. It's hard. We listen to a lot of what the world says about us. But my prayer for you is and my hope for you is that as you dig into his word, as you understand who God is, that that would transform the way that you live your life and the way that you understand where true joy comes from. Let me pray for you guys. Daddy, I thank you that though we often find our identity in other things, you say that we need to find it in you because you give us such great value and such great purpose and, and, and identity in life because of how much you loved us and redeemed us as we're gonna talk about tomorrow. I just think about even my own journey and so much of my last 20 plus years of finding my identity as a pastor and I thank you that you've been helped me to let go of even that. My identity is not found in that, it's found in you and in a right relationship with you. Thank you for loving each and every one of us. Thank you for loving each of these students. I hope tonight maybe they take a little bit of time just to explore you and their identity in you. In Jesus' name we pray.